Welcome to the Spawn Chunks, episode number 195 for Monday, May 30th, 2022. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixelriffs, and joining me as always is Jedi Master Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. Hey, that's a title I will take. Uh, speaking of Jedi, if you'd like to hear a little bit about the Star Wars fan celebration this past weekend, Obi-Wan Kenobi on Disney+, and a whole lot about Elden Ring and potentially Jedi Fallen Order, you should listen to The Render Distance, which is the extended version of the podcast. You can get that extended conversation at patreon.com slash the Chunks. And we were not alone. Uh, we have with us this week prowl 8413 a bedrock content creator and you can find them at prowl 8413 on youtube as well as prowl 8413 gaming on youtube where they have other games that they share and of course prowl 8413 on twitter welcome to the show prowl thanks glad to be here Typically, when we have a guest on the show, we like to let them talk a bit about what they're doing in their Minecraft life. Joel and I usually do this on the main show, but tradition dictates the guest goes first. So uh, without maybe spoiling too much, if you don't want to give away too much about your YouTube series and stuff, uh, what are you up to in Minecraft lately? Um, Yeah, I've, I've been one that I don't really care too much about spoilers. Um, I've been working on this uh, medieval town or really evolving into a kingdom that I have going in my... Uh, survival empire series um, right now i'm trying the process of instead of throwing up like one house at a time i'm throwing up like four or five of them at once just to see if i can make any kind of like substantial progress like all at the same time just to add a little bit of population and life to the town um my survival empire world that i'm working on it's kind of like a fun um i don't know maybe like unique uh, spin I'm trying to take on building the world up where I'm building two different empires uh, up together in tandem that are going to like battle against each other and fight each other at different stages they'll do it in earlier stages where maybe they have just like a small like militia type force and not access to a whole lot of different like equipment and things and as I build up the world the battles will get bigger and bigger and I'll be like staging these battles via like I have an actual like battleground area in the world between the two kingdoms where they're going to fight and I'll build like siege equipment things and use TNT to blow up portions of the world and you know all sorts of cool things to really sell the the lore and like the happenings that are going on while I in the background am building everything up. That sounds really cool. Like, do you plan on taking the story, like, depending on who wins whatever battle, is that going to decide, like, how each empire kind of, like, claims territory from the other one? Is there a plan to kind of, like, incorporate that into, like, an evolving idea of where these two civilizations are going? I think so, yeah. My my current plan, because I want the world to feel like, like these things are really happening in it. So my current plan is like when I get to like the end of what I'm calling phase one, which is like kingdom one and kingdom two are like built up to a certain point where they're kind of equal with each other. Right. I'll probably go through and like, I'm going to stage like TNT in like key areas, like on a wall on a, uh, at different points of a watchtower, the battlefield, like maybe even some houses and things like that. And then I'm going to bring like my, my members and patrons in to actually like fight the battle with each other. So I'll put like, I don't know, X amount on one side, X amount on the other and say, here you guys go. You have at it. Whoever blows up all of the TNT that I've staged, on the other the opposing kingdom you win and then me be as the world builder i'll come in after the fact 
survey the damage and go and like slowly over time fix everything. But like where I don't know where one type of wood may have been used in a build somewhere, I may replace that with another type of wood to tell the story and the lore of, hey, a battle happened here and like this building got damaged in the battle and now it's been repaired. So you can go back in through the world and see, oh, this this damage and repair has happened. Like this is part of the world now, you know. It reminds me of tabletop uh, games where you'll have like, I think it's Warhammer 40K or like other things like that where people are like painting their miniatures and they're setting up these battles. And while there is a gameplay, you know, element to it and like a live game, it also kind of has that like stand back and look at the battlefield and look at, you know, everything that's happening. And you can kind of like imagine the action by the careful placement of you know like you mentioned battle damage or uh, like an like a, a backup army coming in or or some sort of like combination of like history like you mentioned like repaired buildings but then also like new stuff and and like new characters and new lore coming in it's a really interesting way to approach the world yeah it's you know i was trying to decide how i wanted to do it and at first i was thinking i would probably just do it in a traditional sense right like oh you know i'll just like say that something happened here and i'll break a couple blocks here and replace them but then i thought why not just like have a little bit more fun with it and you know every several months or however often it ends up being you know i'll let some people come in and like i'll stage where the damage is going to happen by me placing the tnt down or whatever but like they'll go through and do these things and the battle will kind of like I don't have as much control over it. You know, I'm going to let these guys go at it, have a little bit of fun with, you know, a little PVP session against each other or whatever. And whatever ends up getting damaged along the way via these TNTs, then that that side is the winner. So I don't even get to decide which nice. side wins, and which side loses. It just is going to kind of happen. And then I'll go with the flow, you know, back when I'm in the live version of the world and, you know, going through the series, recording and building things and, and all that that's a really cool way to involve the community as well like that's such a fun idea it's is the kind of thing that back when i was doing stuff on empires smp for season one we wanted to have some sense of there being like a grander battle at work but it was also really difficult to arrange like getting a ton of people onto a server and like that creates all kinds of issues with like server hosting and stuff as well so it's it's a really ambitious way of doing things but if it pays off i think that's going to be a pretty spectacular series yeah, I think this would be fun. I'm going to be happy with it. And, you know, it's easier. You know, you talk about the potential of doing something like that on Empires. It's a lot harder with as many of you guys that are on there and the number of people that you would probably yeah. <laughs> want to have involved. It's Whereas bad. with me, it's, it's just me and my community. So I can easily say, OK, I'm going to pick 10, 12 people to go on each side and you guys have fun. And then, you know, I'll my, my real goal, because, you know, one fear is always, well, what if somebody... I mean, they're my they're my community, so I doubt anything would happen. But what if somebody goes in and tries to grief or moves things around or does something I don't want them to do? So that's the whole point of like it being the staged TNT. So I can just survey the battlefield after the fact and see, OK, well, all of these ones were the ones that were blown up. So I can go back into my copy of the world, ignite those TNTs to blow them up and then effectively have the same thing that they did without actually using a copy of the world that they were in just in case yeah. something happened. That nice. I didn't want yes. to. Makes and, perfect um, sense. Yeah, so that just protects me a little bit, lets him have fun. I don't have to worry about it and put in a whole bunch of restrictions. And yeah, I mean, the whole like premise of this series really was derived from kind of where um, where you guys on Empires got a lot of the inspiration from, which was Age of Empires. I'm a mm -hmm. big fan of that game. So I wanted to try to 
like come up with a series that did kind of what that game does, but just do it in my own way and in a very Minecrafty way in terms of progressing, building things and doing the battles and all that kind of stuff. So for me on the Citadel this weekend, I actually had some success. Uh, I uh, I was kind of stuck last week uh, trying to finish up a couple of builds. I've noticed as I've been working around in West Hill that uh, as I get closer to finishing one building, I realize I have to start to consider what the other buildings next to it are like. And so in order to do that, you kind of have to stop building on one building and move to the next and kind of like choose the block palettes and stuff. And it ends up taking time and, and it kind of distracts you from what you're doing. But I remember last week being very frustrated with the roof of the, the bakery. Uh, I was trying to do a gradient and it wasn't really working out. But what I ended up doing, which surprised me and chat, was that I finished the roof with brown powdered con concrete and jungle signs <laughs> <laughs> and it works remarkably well would have it was just pure like what if i tried this and we're like oh wow the the highlight blocks in the brown powdered concrete match the jungle <laughs> mm -hmm. so it works there's also jungle trap doors and jungle doors in the actual bakery building so having the jungle um signs on the roof actually helped tie it in from a color balance standpoint um, but that was really fun to kind of get in there and do the exterior details of the vine up on the roof and the, uh, the different greenery and, and things kind of like the bushes kind of like hanging down and bleeding out over the road and kind of like making it feel like giving it that, that age, that lived in kind of quality, uh, that Prowl was talking about with, with like destruction, except for I'm adding life instead of destruction. I'm actually seeing, you know, adding plants growing over your buildings, I think really aids, like aids your visual kind of story in terms of like this has been around for a while at least long enough for this vine to grow up the side of it you know um so that was that was a lot of fun uh and then on the uh the consigner building which was again something that i had to move on to uh, or move on from i went back after figuring out all the foliage on the bakery i went into the the consigner building and i did like the external textures and the the flower on the outsides and some different details and things like that added a lantern we noticed you know certain windows were dark that kind of thing i uh, didn't want to lose all the detail that i had in the outside of the building at nighttime uh, and then i moved to do the inside and this is the first time i think in the game that i've worked with like this many bookshelves to try to have like not a library but have basically like this this comings and goings from the the wharf all recorded and all stored here in this one building and having like tons of bookshelves upstairs downstairs you know, there's a desk where somebody could like write and, and keep track of everything. And um, it was uh, surprisingly time consuming. Like it took a full stream to just get the inside of the consigner building finished. Um, but really rewarding to have that 100% checked off, you know, and kind of like moving on to to the next thing. And so uh, it, it was fun in, in, in a lot of ways. Now, Prowl, when you're doing, you know, these these big battle designs and stuff like that, are you paying as much attention to the interiors of buildings are they are the showy exterior um not not quite yet it's something that you know as i'm trying to develop as a minecraft player and creator it's like that's the direction i'm trying to get to um and you know i look at builds like like yours like i love stopping your streams every so often to kind of see the things that you're doing or like seeing what somebody like mythical sausage does or pixel wrist does and like these really detailed interiors, I'm not really there yet. I 
I'm really good at kind of setting a larger stage and like, I don't mm. know, like detailing the inside of a storage room for a farm, for example, like when I have a little bit bigger space and I can more like detail that larger area. But when you get into like these smaller builds, like houses and things like that, I'm at a stage right now where I'm, I'm kind of laying out a general floor plan. So I know, OK, well, I want windows to go here and doors to go here. Um, it's kind of helping me out in that respect to kind of match inside and outside together. But I haven't gone to the extent yet of actually detailing interiors and, you know, adding in all those nooks and crannies like in your um, your screenshots that you've posted here of, of your build. So I haven't gone quite that far yet. It's uh, a difficult balance to strike because you've also got to consider how frequently you're actually going to see it. And when it comes to farms and stuff, it makes sense to like do up a storage room for a farm because you know you're going to be back there. And so it's nice to have something nice to look at when you go visit that farm. Whereas for stuff like this, it's really for that kind of background immersive element to the world that you know in the back of your mind, if I walk into this house, it's going to feel like a house on the inside. It, it really comes down to whether or not your gameplay involves going in and out of some of those houses on a regular basis and frankly if you're not going to see it especially for the purposes of like content creation stuff if you're not going to be making videos where you're inside that house a whole bunch it's sort of like it's sunk cost at that point it's like you know i put a bunch of time and effort into something that i'm probably not going to see again at least for a while yeah i have that same battle i try to keep them as simple as i can uh and try not to have it be like too much like I, th I basically i think i cut myself off on this at some point during the stream I said okay i have to go finish the outside of this so that the whole thing is finished the stream otherwise i'm going to be inside noodling around with these little details forever and uh part of it is the scale because at least at my small scale or player scale there's not a lot of room for all kinds of details like once you put in like you know six bookshelves you're you're kind of out of room you mm -hmm. know you can't really or you're at risk of like not being able to walk around and i find that one of the things i want to do is be able to walk through the builds without like ping-ponging off of stuff like i don't want to have to bump into the bookshelf to go up the stairs to like bump your head on something or all that kind of stuff and i mean from what i've learned um from doing these interiors and that's kind of how i look at it too like it's for me it's the perfectionist of checking off like yes if you decided to walk in it will be at least thought of it's not going to be necessarily the best interior you've ever seen but it's going to be not an, an empty floor plan right um the um the thing that i have learned is that i would be lost without spruce trapdoors like to get around in these little nooks <laughs> and crannies to re to really kind of like narrow a space create like walls that are super thin or to create you know uh, a railing or any kind of like floor that's just you know like you're just ah my head hits this on the way down i know i'll use a spruce trapdoor sail through no problems right and there's just so many so many times i've had to use these but um, as i've gotten better at the interiors like i i think it would be really fun to then work on something large you know like say like a cathedral or something where you're really going to have the room to kind of stretch your legs and you want it to have an inside just as much as it has an outside and so i look at these as, as kind of practice but yeah like there there are definitely builds in on the sigil from early on in minecraft where i was very happy with the outside and i had no clue what to do with the inside i was just like it just it ends up being like you know your home base where it's inside is like minecraft function where outside is like you know an ornate building of a certain style for sure um scale is something that i've been struggling with a little bit lately was i'm planning out future builds and stuff like that so this week i've been teaching myself a little about lightmatica 
Um, anybody who tuned into our um, monthly hangout that happened this weekend knows a little bit about this already, but I've been thinking about planning stuff like custom trees, which I find aren't always suited to survival trial and error. Like, I get quite frustrated when I'm trying to build a uh, a, a nice kind of, like, slender spruce tree that's actually kind of tall, like a, a bigger kind of pine tree. I can never quite get the leaves right. It just ends up being a lot more frustrating than it is rewarding for me. So I've been trying to learn stuff about how to use Lightmatica so that I can import a few schematics into a world and build them up from a, a template. I'm still placing all of the blocks the way you normally would in survival, but I kind of want to have a few custom trees that I can just build and rebuild over and over again, maybe get a feeling for it as I go, but also have some kind of structure to it so that I can use my time wisely. And the same, I think, goes for buildings on a slightly larger scale. Like, I want to build some more ruined structures for building up the story of a world. And I like the idea of having at least a plan for what a place looked like ahead of time. And even in the schematics, they don't have to be ruined already. They could be full structures, but then as I'm building them, I can decide, you know what, let's leave out a couple of blocks here. Let's crumble in this wall here so it like the structure takes on a slightly different shape. And I can kind of be working with the the past of those buildings while building the the present kind of day version of them. So that that's kind of where my, my brain has been taking me. Because the rest of the time, and it's funny you mentioned Age of Empires, um, I've been playing around with Easter eggs in the Survival Guide world this week. Um, I was leading up to a World Tour episode for episode 100, and I'm doing 101 questions about Minecraft submitted by my community, so I was working on a bit of stuff for that. But in the Easter eggs episode... I had never tried this trick where if you show an evoker a blue sheep and it doesn't have anything like a villager or a player to target to summon vexes, uh, evokers will convert a blue dyed sheep into a red sheep. And they do this because it's an Easter egg for Age of Empires. Um, it's the um, the priest unit in Age of Empires that basically converts uh, some of the basic units from the opponent's team over to your team. Um, and, and they basically they, they put in a reference to that uh, in the evokers mm. where they'll they'll convert a, a sheep from blue to red and i'd never done that before i'd seen it done but had never really bothered to attempt that myself in survival so i went around you know capturing mobs from a pillager raid and i got a vindicator so i could name tag it johnny and do the johnny vindicator you know attack all of the things easter egg but then i also went and did the evoker thing and so now i just have an evoker in a box with two sheep standing in front of it and uh it was kind of fun to uh, to play around with some of that stuff i i believe that was it Heinrich that worked on Age of Empires? Some of the M Minecraft developers have previous experience on Age of Empires, I believe. Yeah, I mean, and, and at the very least, they, they enjoy playing it. Like, they've talked to us about, like, you know, getting together some multiplayer matches in their in their off time. So they're clearly big fans of the game. Um, the, the other thing I've been doing this week is, like I said, the 101 Questions video has taken me to some interesting places, and I had never gone back to older versions of Minecraft to look at some of the stuff from before I started playing on PC. And, you know, having played on Xbox in what would have been like 1.3 on PC, I guess, in terms of the features that were there, I kind of thought I'd experienced the past of Minecraft. Then a question came up for the 101 Questions video about the difference between the Far Lands and the World Border. So the Far Lands is a terrain generation glitch that used to happen in beta versions of Minecraft before biomes were added and the terrain was reworked. And basically, once you get 12 million or so blocks out into the world, the mathematical stuff governing terrain generation just kind of 
like all goes out the window or like it, at that point it's difficult for it to calculate beyond a certain value and so the terrain just generates in bizarre vertical kind of formations from there outwards until you get far enough out that the terrain just kind of gives up and you fall through the world um but i'd never done that i'd never gone to the far lands in the beta versions of minecraft because i'd never really played them and the only way to get out that far if you're not prepared to walk for i think the <laughs> the, the people who've done it have been walking for more or less nine months continuously in the same world um i installed a a mod that enabled commands in a single player world because they didn't exist back in that version of the game for single player worlds and i teleported myself out there and even then it's just a bizarre experience because for a start, as you're moving around, Joel, you would hate this with the frame stutter issues you've been having on oh, <laughs> on yeah. current versions. Like, at that point, the game is struggling to compute the player's position. And so moving on one axis is fine. But if you're moving towards the area where the far lands generate, it's just like jerking forward and it's having a hard time like moving the blocks under your feet basically <laughs> and it just becomes like this this awful kind of frame stuttery mess as you get further out there which is the kind of thing that isn't conveyed by these pictures showing this dramatic cliff wall in front of you but man it's like things have changed and it's one of those things that could have been an awe-inspiring like oh this was the history of minecraft and look how incredible this was and all i could think really most of the time was like wow i'm happy we're playing the minecraft that we're playing now <laughs> because it is so much more polished than some of the bizarre glitchiness that used to happen in older versions of the game you know it's kind of funny um i think i saw silent whisperer did this a while ago but there was a uh, bug on bedrock edition that if you were eating simultaneously while going in a nether portal from the overworld was it the yeah the overworld to the nether let's say you were on like y or like x coordinate 2000 in the overworld right and you're eating when you go through the nether portal it would cause some kind of weird glitch and it would take you to 2000 in the nether instead of the 2000 divided by 8 mm -hmm. and then you could then make a portal go through it and then, you know, of course, it's going to do the 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 calculation of doing the 2000 times eight for the nether to the overworld. And it would take you to 16000, right? Because that would be the the equivalent nether to overworld. And then mm -hmm. you could go back in the portal on the, in the overworld side. And just like while keeps multiplying. Through. Yeah. Yeah. It keeps multiplying out. So I think uh, Silent Whisper was one of the people I saw do it. I'm sure others did as well, where um without any like it like just plain vanilla minecraft using this bug got himself out to the far lands by eating his way through nether portals that's so funny like it's it's the kind of thing that obviously stuff like that needs to get fixed because that's going to be confusing and disorienting to people who stumble into that like just as a matter of playing the game normally but man it's kind of fun at the same time <laughs> just like the bizarre glitchiness it's one of those bugs that like it's once you know what it's capable of it kind of lends a, a new dimension to the game but yeah gosh that's that's hilarious i think java had a thing for a while where if you ender pearled into a nether portal frame it did the same thing so <laughs> there's uh there's some people who've exploited that in the past for sure yeah, you can imagine the number of people that were really confused when all of a sudden they're at like 4,000 out in the nether with no portal and no way to get home. And they're like, wait, how? Do, where am I and how do I get back? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, speaking of modern Minecraft, we should probably move into the news because we have a packed news read uh, this week, starting with the Minecraft 
119 release date. That is right, the Wild update now has a release date, and it's actually a lot sooner than you might think. Uh, the Wild update is coming. The article on Minecraft.net has announced the release of the update, and it should arrive on Tuesday, June 7th. Uh, the article also recaps some of the features that will hit the official release on that date, all of which I'm sure folks are familiar with at this point, so we won't read them all here, but very excited to be talking about the Wild update arriving, and there's only one more Spawn Chunks episode between now and then, so uh, yeah, we'll be able to do our 119 prep episode next week before we get into the update for real. The timing is fantastic, honestly. And in between the last episode and the release date, we had a couple of pre-releases. Minecraft Java Edition 119 pre-release 2 and 3. Changes in pre-release 2. If the warden is stuck in liquid, it will angrily despawn instead of digging, reverting using generic equipment or the equipment sound when equipping blocks in the head slot has also been added. Uh, added game event teleport with a vibration frequency of 5. Notable bug fixes in pre-release 2, a bunch of skulk sensor events, goat horns don't snap on copper ore, baby goats with horns lose their horns when fed, darkness frogs fog flashes at high duration values, villagers sometimes won't refill their stock, and reflected gassed fireball cannot hit the ghast. Changes in pre-release 3 include the Warden's Sonic Boom attack now bypassing the damage reduction by armor enchantments such as protection, and item underscore interact underscore start is no longer detectable as a vibration to allow more specific actions to be detected like a drink or eat uh, function, uh, but the item underscore interact underscore finish is still detected. So gone is my idea of a pork chop remote control for opening up your door, but uh, it is uh, still something that's detected by the game upon completion of those actions. Notable bug fixes, yet more skulk sensor fixes. Allays can get stuck in and freeze inside of non-full blocks, kind of like fence posts and stuff. Uh, skulk sensors hearing items being dropped on the ground doesn't alert skulk shriekers, even if a player drops it. Warden still detects after death if the signal is traveling before death, and allays no longer free, flee or panic when taking damage. We also had a Bedrock Edition beta slash preview, and we'll talk more about the distinction between those, I'm sure, once Prowl gets to have a word in here. But uh, preview 119.10.20 is now out, and there's a changelog over at feedback.minecraft.net if you want to read the full thing. Uh, known issues with this update, the potion effects of differing strengths are not stacking correctly, and they hope to address that in a future beta slash preview update. A few changes to the Warden, some of them similar to Java Edition. It can now path through lava and water, is no longer pushable while it's emerging or digging. If the Warden is in liquid when attempting to despawn, it doesn't do the digging animation, it just despawns without any animation or sound. The Warden now always chases a nuisance after it roars at it, and the Warden now increases its its anger towards an attacking nuisance by 100 anger for each attack. So lots of chances to make the Warden angry. Skulk sensors now correctly detect when big drip leaf blocks change their tilting state and correctly detect when grass, grass path, dirt, coarse dirt or rooted dirt is tilled with a hoe. They cannot detect a player equipping a handheld item anymore. Taking a stackable item from an allay now correctly adds this item to its existing stacks. Uh, taking a stackable item from the allay no longer causes item duplication. Allay pickup range was changed to 
uh, 32 blocks from 64 blocks to match Java Edition. The Skulk Vein now drops as many items as the number of faces it is covering when mined with Silk Touch. Skulk Catalysts can now spread Skulk through mud and muddy mangrove roots. The Skulk Shrieker will now scan for Wardens in a 48x48 area, not a 96x96. Skulk Shriekers now apply the darkness effect to players with threat level 3 or 4. They now detect players riding any type of entity, they will activate repeatedly while players are standing on them, and Skulk Shriekers now implicate players that provoke them from far away. Mangrove Propagules are no longer blocked from growing by leaves. Mangrove logs are now included in the bonus chest loot tables. Villagers now spawn as swamp villagers in mangrove swamp biomes, and clay patches now generate correctly in mangrove swamps. There are a few changes to the touch control interface as well. Players can now continuously jump while holding down the jump button. Players can now descend from the top of scaffolding with the new touch controls. No more players stranded on the top of scaffolding on mobile. And they've updated the visual style of the touch control joystick. It wouldn't be an episode without Prowl without mentioning Vanilla Parity, so let's quickly cover that. Uh, mobs equipping items in armor slots now produce sounds. Campfires can now provide full-faced bottom supports to other blocks. Lecterns likewise. Weeping Vines can now be placed underneath all blocks which can provide a full-faced bottom support. Breaking a boat with chest or minecart with chest will now anger nearby piglins. Structure blocks can no longer be waterlogged. Relative position of entities exiting nether portals no longer have their placement snapped to a block position coordinate. They fixed a visual bug where the liquids could have unexpected heights in the corners, depending on diagonally adjacent blocks. And there is some progress on spectator mode. Players in spectator mode can now breathe anywhere and cannot be pushed by pistons. Spectators will be ignored for sleeping rules to skip the night. Moving around as a spectator no longer affects the player's hunger level. Spectators no longer broadcast self-made sounds like footsteps, climbing, splashing in water and so forth. The player's insomnia timer stops ticking once the player switches to spectator mode. They will render only as a head in spectator mode. They will render semi-transparently. And projectiles such as arrows, tridents, and fireballs will now shoot through spectators. Also, spectators playing with the gamepad are no longer shown unusable tooltips. Sticking with Minecraft Bedrock, the Minecraft Marketplace is celebrating five years with the celebration between May 24th and July 12th, players can delve into five years of fam favorites and meet creators behind the most popular marketplace worlds, nab limited time discounts, and even a new free map, the Marketplace Creator Tycoon by Jiggerbov Productions. Well, that was a long news read. <laughs> I feel I'm sweating slightly after that one. Um, but there we go. We have, for a start, a release date for the Wild Update. And... It, it still feels like it's happening really soon, even though we've sort of known once they got into pre-releases that it wasn't it was, wasn't going to be too long before the actual wild update was around the corner. Um, but obviously a lot of just little fixes here and there. Um, Prowl, like, what's your first impression about how things are going with 119 on Bedrock? From a Bedrock perspective, do you have any more concerns about how the features are being implemented? Are there any major bugs that haven't been addressed yet, or is it all looking okay? Um, I think it's it's shaping up really good. The developers have done a good job at kind of working these two things in tandem. And for the most part, everything that you're seeing happening on Java is happening on Bedrock and everything is happening on Bedrock is, you know, getting transitioned over to Java. Um, some of these like last second things that you see them do in um, in like some of these pre-releases and such. I don't I don't think those make their way to Bedrock right away because like the certification process 
that they go through to like make sure that they can post it to the app store and make sure that the console um the consoles are able to play them and they get certified to go onto their like updates and things like that I, I think some of the last second things don't necessarily hit right away on bedrock like they do java but i'm sure they're already planned to hit on like the the, the next update and um and i don't know if if you're familiar with this or not but i think like that that um bedrock beta slash preview that you mentioned the 1.19.10 i think the point 10 signifies that this is that's the things that are listed in there are for an upcoming release after the 1.19 release comes uh-huh. out next week right yeah now that, that makes a lot of sense because yeah if they're kind of seeing that as 119.1 if if we're looking at it in java terms like the the version yeah. numbers still kind of get away from us when it comes to the differences between bedrock and java but uh yeah it's 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 obviously like it's an ongoing process and they're probably already working on stuff that they know isn't going to be quite locked in for the full release but then there's just a couple of bits and pieces that need ironing out yeah i mean luckily they're all small things um and they've gotten really good at that when it comes to the the major releases 1.19 1.18 1.17 i think going back to another update too like there haven't been like since they've decided to make parody a focus when they're doing these updates um several cycles ago like they've they've been pretty solid at doing it usually if there's anything funky that happens usually oddly enough it's unrelated to like an actual feature and it's some type of bug that's that makes its way in like um i can think with when 1.18 released back in uh what was it december right um there was a, a major bug on bedrock edition where um temples didn't generate and that would be like the desert temples uh jungle temples and actually witch huts are even classified as a temple in bedrock edition so until like two three weeks ago we you couldn't find a witch hut generate on bedrock edition because they just really they just didn't generate so some things like that unfortunately make their way through but i know that you know they look out for those things and hopefully won't have anything major happen this time around that would be really frustrating like with with structures like that not jittering i mean like i know that just as a java player like there is that kind of lull in gameplay when you know you have either pre-releases coming or a release date where you know there's that discussion especially on multiplayer servers where people are just like all right so like are we putting a a, a, an x nay on the exploring you know for the next couple weeks until minecraft 119 drops and i mean that's generally what we do on on the citadel but we've not had any issues where like you know things like essential to normal minecraft play especially for people that are doing new worlds which i guess is the difference here but yeah like it'd be really difficult to like get excited to jump into a new minecraft release and then not be able to have like witch hut spawns because i know a lot of players that get really excited about witch huts and want to do like you know witch farms and get your redstone and all that kind of stuff going so that would yeah that would be kind of a, a a pullback you know in terms of like some more general gameplay between bedrock and and java i know from of course conversations on the podcast that the wither fight in bedrock is much different than it is in java so in terms of the warden another big boss mob or i'm not sure if we want to call it a boss fight because i think the idea is not to fight it Mm -hmm. um with the changes that they've been adding I find that the more that they change the the warden, the less that I'm going to be bothering with it. Now, this is specifically from my point of view as a as a non PvP and like even a non PVE player. Uh, I, just the more that they make this more powerful, the less fun it sounds like to me. Uh, are you know you as a 
as a bedrock player prowl like are you looking forward to a mob that has like the same sort of like strategies and uh capabilities across both platforms um i think i am and the whole like the you mentioned the wither is like an example of like a boss mob that was like way different between the two versions and there's still a lot of differences in it like our wither actually has like a different like attack move that you can't the the java wither doesn't have it has this thing where once you get it down below half health it'll like do this dash attack towards the player it'll break every block in its path on its way to you and it does a decent amount of damage um but they actually recently fixed or changed due to parity some of the things that were making the bedrock wither harder than the java wither that a lot of people may not know about um, you may remember from previous notes where uh, you guys had gone over them about some combat changes to bedrock and how um, armor is being calculated and they made some changes with uh, protection as well. And one of the things on bedrock that made the wither a lot harder was the withering effect. Actually, it used to ignore your uh, protection enchantment. So now they changed that to match Java. So now the withering effect, actually, it hits your armor and therefore calculates the protection enchantment. So although it's still a little bit harder on Bedrock Edition than it is on Java, it's actually, it got a lot easier. You can do a straight up fight against the Wither and have a reasonable chance of surviving, whereas before it was next to impossible. Yeah, you can you can sort of out-regenerate the, the health drops if you've got enough protection on your armor at this point. And yeah, it's I think the, the difficulty with the Bedrock Wither fight now comes down to the difference in attack patterns, the fact that it spawns Wither skeletons during one phase of the fight, mm-hmm. and then control c- scheme, like whatever you're controlling it on, whether it's a touchscreen or a, a, a console controller. For folks who don't play on PC on the Bedrock, uh, bedrock edition for windows it's um you know uh, it's a different ball game i feel like and i'm still in- incredibly impressed that anybody can fight the wither on like a a, a phone touchscreen basically oh, gosh. Yeah. yeah so and that actually brings up another point that i had is that you know in these changes to the sonic attack bypassing armor enchantments it, like again it sounds less fun it also sounds more confusing to me from a player standpoint and try- i'm trying to put my brain into the head of a of a new player someone that is just learning what enchantments do oh they make me stronger and so if it helps me against the wither and that's a new thing in bedrock you're like sweet now the wither fight actually feels more like it should like my armor is doing what it's supposed to do mm-hmm. by the way that doesn't work against the warden sonic attack and i feel like that's kind of like well <laughs> what's the point you know of of the armor enchantments if they're not going to be consistent in in their in their you know protection or enhancements i i feel like that because i mean sure we know it because they listed it in the change log but like does the average player know that or will they know that going into the warden fight i mean i guess it depends on whether you fight the warden or i shouldn't say fight you experience the warden before or after you experience the wither or the ender ender dragon right yeah, and I think that there's some exceptions already. Like, you look at Guardians and their laser beam mm-hmm, attacks bypass armor as well, right? So there's there's other things in the game. It's not like it's kind of unprecedented for this to be the case. And I think really what you're being taught by the Warden being so damaging is the intended experience, which is to avoid it. I mean, you said it yourself. That's kind of yeah. the idea behind it is that you don't fight it. I think the real problem is just being able to escape the Warden without that sonic attack hitting you 
whilst you're on your way out <laughs> and and i think the the real problem is going to be like having some kind of available countermeasure for the player other than just hiding and if you end up like just bumping into the warden by mistake if you lose track of where it is and it turns out that it just like brushed your arm that's it game over kind of thing like i i i'm still not experienced enough with the latest changes of the warden to know how you're supposed to get away uh, other than maybe just running into a two block high tunnel where it can't follow you because it's tall um i i think that's really it it's it's a difficult balance to strike making sure that players can't just cheese the warden and that it doesn't seem as trivial a fight as all that especially once they've added this as effectively like a strategy the warden can use against players who just pillar up or hide behind tall enough barriers you know mm. it's the coolest mob that you never want to see yeah <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that is a, a, a big problem of stuff like this is like we've done all of this cool stuff which ideally you'll never get to experience if you're playing it right but of course i think the the whole idea is that you encounter the warden once casually you get your butt handed to you and then you rethink your approach to exploring that whole area i think that's the the change they want to you know, to make in the the minds of the player is okay this is an area where i have to be more careful yeah i think um i think it's one of those things where that after release and a decent amount of people mess around with it there's gonna be a, a lot of ways that you can at the bare minimum escape the warden because mm -hmm. i know it's it's sonic attack has a range right i can't remember if it's like 10 blocks or 20 blocks or whatever but if i have a high ceiling i can pillar up high enough before it shoots me with that thing to where it can't it can't get me or your like level of progression that you go through the game like i'm gonna get the elytra first and if the warden spawns in i'm pulling a rocket out and i'm gone you know and i'll wait a little while for him to despawn before i come back and i think there'll just be a lot of uh, strategies that players develop and share to make it to where you don't feel like you need to cheese the warden you kind of get what you need to get and you, you hightail it out of there before before he's able to do any kind of damage. And um, I think really for me still, the the big thing is, and, and this kind of goes to maybe like uh, Joel's sentiment when I think about that, I feel like a lot of players are probably thinking like Joel is, which is I, I really, I don't really want to go tackle this guy. Like there's no need for me to go there and get my butt handed to me and die multiple times trying to get my gear back. So I think that's really at least for me, the last thing that I would like to see balanced in the future is like, can you at least if we're going to go in there and tackle him, like give me something that like, I feel like I have to have, like I'm in a world, mm -hmm. I have to have X piece of gear. Just like when I started a new Minecraft world, I have to have an Elytra. Like I'm not going to go without an Elytra. I'm not going to go without shulker boxes. Like I think if they just add that something that's a have to have thing, they have some cool to have things, like like the the speed what is, what is it called where you can crouch and walk fast the swift and, sneak yeah yeah mm -hmm. swift sneak and the the compass that like takes you to where you die like those are cool I, like i don't i like them in the game they're fun but i don't have to have it and worst case i can just fly in open a chest pull the things out and I'm, I'm gone again you know i don't have to have a lot of it i can just get it one time and i'm good to go so i think that's the last thing for me that they really hopefully in the future tackle and do Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's still room for that, and that's the problem with it. it. We're talking about this update as though it is entirely complete, and like all of these features are never going to be changed again. Mm -hmm. But then stuff like this gets rebalanced and changed all the time. You've got the other side disc that was added to stronghold chests and stuff a while ago, and dungeons. Like there's there's 
stuff like loot like that can change in future and if they don't have any great ideas for it now it may be just because maybe another idea down the line becomes the catalyst for them to revamp that and it ties ancient cities into something else they've got planned who knows i I think it's it's still ripe for development in the same way that like there's we need to have stuff like more uses for copper so that people can use that for more than just a building block and a couple of spyglasses there's there's room for it i think in future and that's part of the exciting part of this update is is seeing how it improves and seeing how it incorporates ties into the rest of the game from here you don't want you can't make a hasty decision when it comes to this right like if you're going to add something into the game maybe they do want to let's say they do that they want to add something in the game that's like that game changing piece of loot that like everybody wants to get a whole lot of and makes you search the map you know far and wide to find 10 ancient cities and just gather a whole bunch of whatever it is right you can't just make that decision on a whim, develop it really fast and implement it. You got to take your time with something like that because it's something that'll change the whole future of the game. Yeah. So I, I'm not, you know, I'm not mad at it. I would rather than take their time out on it, figure it out. Yeah, it'd been cool to have it right now. But if the end result is maybe I get something that's better and more well-balanced later on, then that's fine. I'll take it. I'm happy. Absolutely. I think that's a trend that we've seen starting with 116. Like, I feel like the Nether update the caves and cliffs updates i feel like they are bigger picture updates you know like while they were in themselves complete i think they then set up cooler things down the line compared to you know i mean 113 was still huge but like 113 didn't really affect much other than just the overworld and the oceans right like there's Mm -hmm. 114 and like and even the bees update like there's they were a little bit more we're updating the game but we're not necessarily setting the stage. And I feel like 16, 17, 18, 19 are setting the stage in a lot of ways. And that's why it's a slightly different feel for, I think, players that are used to like a more, we'll call it quote unquote, complete update. Um, and and I, I mean, I'm excited for it. I agree with you. I think that there's going to be some cool, hopefully some cool, cool loot in there. But speaking of things that are, are building and going into the future, something else that I noted from the news is the changes in alerts to skulk sensors is increasing their capabilities like exponentially. And it's not a bad thing. It's a confusing thing. But like, I'm going to need like a Coles Notes Wikipedia article the first time that I mess with skulk sensors, because there's going to be all kinds of stuff that's going to trick them or trip them that I don't know trips them. And I can imagine it being like, why is my redstone contraption like flicking six times, you know, when you only want it to do once when you're trying to control it with a skulk sensor. And um, I I just think that it's worth noting just how complicated adding vibrations and that kind of chain reaction of like, well, okay, well, if this is detectable by a skulk sensor, then that should also mean that teleporting and these other things are detectable by a skulk sensor. And it's just opening up all kinds of avenues where players could do different things with skulk sensors. And I want to tip my hat to the devs because it is a ton of work. It has to be just monstrous to kind of like figure out where do you stop it and what do you include in it and how do you include it stuff in the vibrations that is going to be intuitive for players yeah there's there's so much like the the minecraft wiki article for skulk sensors is as long as my arm at this point and only getting longer (laughs) what do you say we move into some email yeah let's do it we have a couple of emails uh, a couple of things that are contributing to our discussion with prowl as well because of course we had to pick his brains about feature parity and and all of that other stuff but uh, we got a something a little different to kick us off so how about you read this first one Yeah, it actually ties into uh, ancient cities and those rewards we were talking about. Uh, This email comes in from Sunnybrook1, landscape artist member of our community, and Echo about Echo Portals. 
Hey guys, Sunnybrook1 here. I know it was a few episodes ago, but I couldn't stop thinking about another use for Echo Shards as part of a new type of portal that could be used similar to a Stargate from the TV show of the same name. Picture this. Reinforced Deep Slate acts as walls of the portal, but for all four corners, they are occupied by an Echo Shard-related block. We'll call it an Echo Block for now. That has the ability to be tuned, quote-unquote, to a specific vibration. This could be restricted to the 24 notes of a note block or anything that a new skulk sensor reacts to. Once each block has been tuned, the portal can then be activated with experience from sacrifices to nearby skulk catalysts or experience from bottles of enchanting, which aren't that useful at the moment. The portal would only go to another echo portal tuned to the exact same frequency. This would make a single portal more flexible. Retuning the corners could allow you to connect to many other portals as long as you knew the quote-unquote address. And on multiplayer servers, it could create a vanilla way to join your faraway friends without having to run for hours or rely on teleporting plugins. To avoid being overpowered, the required experience to activate the portal could scale up based on the distance between both portals, or only remain open while a steady stream of XP orbs was feeding into it. As for the rarity of Echo Shards, I think that their design and functionality point them towards being renewable and farmable in the future via the Skulk. Somehow. Can't wait to see what the devs come up with. Sunnybrook 1 stepped into an Echo Portal tuned to the first four notes of the Spawn Chunks theme song. <laughs> Pandering. I like it. Pandering will get you everywhere on this podcast. Um, yeah, so this is a, a really interesting but very complex idea and i i love it because uh, having watched stargate and been a, a fan of sg1 and everything like i i do like the idea of like dialing an address for somebody's base or something like that right that, that seems super cool i think my only major issue with stuff like this is how do you communicate stuff like that to players in game because, you know, if, if you've got a portal that doesn't work when you don't have the right address, I feel like most players who won't haven't read up on the subject will just assume that it doesn't do anything. And they're, they're, they're still waiting for the, the idea of something like that to be to be added. Also, a very large portal to be traveling through. Um, and like having been to the ancient cities a couple of times just to take screenshots and like look around in the, the pre-releases, it's a very, very large frame. That seems like quite a almost overkill when you look at nether portals by comparison. So, uh, the, is is the widescreen TV going to be something that we have to tune at this point? I'm uh, I'm curious about that one. <laughs> like uh, rabbit ears on the top, right? Old TV sets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Like you, you, I think Joel even had this idea of like you know once you've tuned something to a certain frequency, like having to go around the horn and like come back to the the next frequency. And it's the problem with the the note block thing of having to like hold down right click and like oh I missed the note by one, let me go back and like it it, it becomes a bit of a, a frustrating exercise there. I should note that Sony Brookrun included an image in there in their um, email that had more of a portal sized portal version right where, uh -huh. the, where the, <laughs> the blocks were actually movable um and so you so you could put it where you wanted it and not have to tackle the the warden every time you wanted to go and use the the portal um i i like the idea and i think because we've received a number of emails about like portal and faster teleportation and fa faster transportation in the overworld uh, even though we have elytra that i think players still want to adventure and see more faster and i you know i think it speaks to that kind of like need in the community or want in the community and while i like the idea of this i quickly reach into like 
some technical limitations where you think at first, like, well, wait a minute, like, you know, 24 programmable notes on four different blocks. I'm not going to do the math live on the show, but that's a lot of combinations. But is that still too few because of how many potential portals? Like, I mean, ultimately some player is going to push this to the point where you've got the the number of portals. And I feel like mathematically, because of how large the world is in Minecraft, like you, that might be too few. And if that's too few, then does it become too cumbersome and too complicated to even pro like, then you start getting into like IP addresses for like, you know, the, the length <laughs> of the number that you have to come up with. Right. And, and like, I had the same idea that you did Pixelris, which was like, how, how do you communicate that to the, the player? I, we had an email a couple of weeks ago that was talking about like archaeology and how it would be neat if we could dig up instruction manuals for Minecraft and have it just be pictures. And I think if, if there was something like that, that would say like, oh, if you put these two notes together and it goes to this portal, it works. And if you put these two notes together with those two notes, then it doesn't work. And I feel like that might be enough if it was something that was that was in the game. Um, but I don't like what happens when two players decide to tune their portals to the same. You know, like maybe they're all fans of the spawn chunks and everybody's playing the spawn chunks in their base uh, mm -hmm. in terms of the theme song. Like if I go up to my portal, dial in the right the right theme song, like and there's three other players with the same thing like how does the portal choose where to go right so mm -hmm. you have to kind of compensate for those happenstances of either planned you know uh we're going to make it all the same or just accidentally you know players just choosing the same you know four notes because it sounded good i don't know like i'm not sure how that all that all works out it reminds me a little of the shared ender chests that we've talked about previously with um uh, whichever Ender expansion mod it is, or something like that. There's there's the one that's um got like a color coded system where multiple people can have the same Ender chest inventory, and it still works the same as an Ender chest where it's connected across multiple dimensions. Ender storage. Thank you from our from our live chat. And uh, yeah, like it, it's the same problem of like if you've all got the same combination, then it's going to open all your locks, and like and 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 whose base is safe at that point, or like you said, where does it where does it take you to? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, well, if, if I were to just like give my guess, it just seems like they're setting themselves up to be able to do something in the future. You know, like mm -hmm. they don't have to decide right now. They they have the the quote unquote portal there, if that's what we want to call it. And if they want it to be a portal somewhere else, they can decide to do that whenever they want to. Or I don't know, like if it was to like if you're just thinking about. Like, what could it be used for if it's not something it takes you to this mysterious whole new dimension? Maybe it could be like a portal that could take you to the end, but like not the end, like not the center, like end island where the dragon is. But like, it'd be kind of cool to be able to link up to somewhere else in the end that's not the center island and make the end more functional and accessible in an easier way. Yeah. Was it you, Prowl, who was talking on Twitter about that? Like, we had a similar idea on the podcast of um, those portals taking you to like a procedurally generated adventure, kind of like the ancient hunts feature in Minecraft Dungeons. <laughs> yeah, that'd be kind of cool, right? Just to like, you know, take things away from the normal way of doing Minecraft of, hey, I just have another dimension I can go build stuff in or whatever, and instead make it like minecraft dungeons but inside of minecraft like it would just be something it's a fun change of pace and is different instead of what most people are presuming it is which will be something that just takes you to a new dimension because ultimately the new dimensions are are cool like we have the nether we have the end but like how how much are you really in them 
to do much of anything Minecraft related. You kind of go there, you get the, the resources that you want from it and you come back. And if you can, you you farm those resources back in the overworld where you build all your main stuff to begin with. So, yeah, there's, there's a utility purpose, to it. Yeah. Yeah. For that purpose, it'd be cool to maybe do something different to break up our normal way of thinking and doing things, I think. Or it becomes something like the Infinity Snapshot from the April Fool's update a couple of years ago, where it was just like, there is a dimension for everything. And like maybe the dialing into the portal becomes more about like, you know, I dial oh, yeah. into a dimension where the walls are all made out of cobbled deep slates, so I can get a ton of that. <laughs> I mean, that, that's the entire deep dark, so that's a really yeah. bad example. But I mean, like maybe the portals that, that takes you to a place that's made out of emerald ore, and suddenly I can mine a ton of emeralds to farm and and give to my villagers. You know, maybe it takes me to a world where all of the iron veins are swapped out with chocolate or something. You know, there's there's just bizarre <laughs> combinations of stuff that it can it can take you to and the framework for that has almost been laid a couple of years ago at this point yeah and if i were to like they're you know in there in the email there they're trying to find a, like another good use for the echo shards which i think is a good way to go because we have you know we now have this new item in the game so more uses for the echo shards i think is a good thing no need to like reinvent the wheel and come up with a whole new item when we have that there if i were to you know, throw in my two cents for like what a good use of the echo shards would be that fits within like current normal Minecraft. It would make me want to just like go everywhere and find as many of them as possible. I would make it like make it usable in a beacon. Like let me instead of putting iron or diamond or something, let me put an echo shard in a beacon and unlock something new like haste three so I can insta my deep slate or mm. like the beacon effect. It unlocks a new beacon effect to where like this whole area is spawn proof. Like the anywhere that the beacon touches and effects is spawn proof. If you use an echo shard in there instead of a diamond or a, or a piece of iron or whatever, I think that'd be a pretty cool use of them. See, I've, I've previously been against the idea of having a beacon radius effect that blocks mob spawning, but that thematically ties in pretty well with the deep dark because mobs don't spawn there to begin with, right? Like, it could be a kind of a neat way of having maybe the one portion of your deep dark biome that you built a base in, and it's like there's one patch that isn't part of the biome and so mobs keep spawning there and you could mm -hmm. just slap a beacon down there and be like, no, <laughs> no, no mobs in a 50 block radius of this uh, this beacon now. Yeah, that and the echo shards, they're limited anyways, right? You can't you can't renew them. So, you know, if your your like concern is, oh, well, like, you know, a player shouldn't be able to easily go through and like make their whole world spawn proof. Well, if you're using echo shards for it, you're either going to have to travel really far to find more and more of them or you're going to have to be very specific about where you put your beacon, because once you break it and try to move it or do something else with it, you have to use a new echo shard and you only have so many of them to use. So it, it does kind of help like gate it or balance it out in some way, at least. For sure. Uh, so moving into the next email, moving us away from the uh, the the one nineteen discussion here. Um, this one comes in from some guy fifty three, and the subject is Bedrock XP parity. As a longtime Java player, I recently made the jump to Bedrock on Windows so that I can enjoy a new world with my now teenage kids across multiple platforms. My daughter plays on her iPad, my son on his Switch, and myself on PC. Out of complete happenstance, I also recently discovered Prowl's Bedrock Survival Guide, which parallels Johnny's guide in many respects. Imagine my delight when Monday's collaboration was announced. I'm especially excited to listen to a parity discussion, particularly when it comes to efficient Bedrock XP farming, since things like MobCap are so disparate between the two versions. So thanks so much for all you do in our community and for an awesome show. Some guy 53 was not killed by mobs because they didn't spawn correctly in his AFK skeleton farm. He also gained zero bones due to a lack of understanding. <laughs> no bones. No bones for you. Well, yeah, obviously we wanted to talk to you a lot about 
uh, feature parity and the differences between Bedrock and Java and maybe demystify a few of those things because a lot has changed recently to kind of bridge gaps and there are still a few gaps remaining. But let's talk a little bit first about furnace bugs and XP yeah. farming in Bedrock in general because this is something I noticed that you you always find when there's like, oh, the, the XP furnace bug is back and there's always like a minor celebration that we've we found another one over on Twitter. Yeah, it's kind of funny. It's like uh, even the devs are kind of getting in on it a little bit. They find it kind of hilarious when when this thing like crops its way back up. But for the longest time, there was a bug with furnaces to where they infinitely stored the XP. So if you smelted a double chest worth of potatoes and you go to pull a potato out of the furnace, it gives you that double chest worth. But if you run one more potato through the furnace and pull it out again, it gives you the double chest worth again. So kind of like remembered that XP value. It didn't reset it. And they fixed that a few updates ago. And a lot of players use that as like a crutch for XP, which was admittedly very overpowered. But at the same time, XP's a hurdle that not everybody wants to get over. Um, and especially in the early game, it can be it can be a bigger hurdle than a lot of people think. You know, I think about my kids that play the game and they um like they don't they don't get enough XP to get 30 levels to enchant stuff. And then, you know, that grind in the early game when you have to, I have to get up to 30 again so I can enchant. I have to get up to 30. Like it's a big grind to like keep getting up to level 30 to get the enchantments that you want. And it could take a long time. And I, I, again, I think back to my kids when when they're playing, they don't play with enchanted gear because they aren't quite sophisticated enough into the game to create some type of like complicated XP farm. And they usually just get their XP kind of naturally, right? Like by mining and killing mobs and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. um, I think that's the big problem. And one thing that, um, you know, he asked the, the, the person there asked about, you know, the difference in XP and getting it in bedrock and Java, and it can feel at times harder to get it on bedrock edition because um there's there's like the disparity or difference in mob cap you know in java you guys have your your mob cap like per player or um, whatnot that scales up with multiplayer but like you always have like what is it like is it 70 75 i know it's somewhere around it's, there it's right? 70 yeah it's, it's something that, roughly like that yeah so like you have your loaded area it'll load up the 70 mobs whereas on bedrock edition everything's a lot more localized um depending i don't want to go too much into the weeds here but depending on what simulation distance you play mobs may only be able to spawn closer to you and not further away um you have a density cap where like mobs will only spawn a certain number of mobs will only spawn within a certain area of each other so within that certain area you can have eight mobs spawn in the on what we call the surface which is above ground and then they recently inc uh, increased it to 16 mobs can spawn below ground. But to the like average casual player, usually what that means is while you're exploring your world um, and, and picks, I'm sure you've, you've um, seen this when you've like played on your RTX world. And then you compare that to Java, the early game on bedrock edition isn't anywhere near as dangerous as it is on Java because there's just not as many mobs around. Yeah, and unless unless you went next to a river and suddenly there was like 50 drowned because of all the zombies that had like wandered into a river and converted or like drowned spawning used to be off the charts. But I feel like that's been fixed more recently as well. Like you don't get them just accumulating in water sources anymore. It has, yeah. So like just when you're exploring the world and just like, hey, there's a mob in my path, like I'm going to kill it, get it out the way. Like you gain a lot of experience that way. You don't really have that opportunity on Bedrock Edition. But 
there's a really cool thing now that a lot of people haven't really paid a lot of attention to. And it kind of ties into something you pointed out on Twitter on Twitter not long ago, which is we have more than just ancient cities now. We have this deep, dark biome and it's ripe with XP. Like if you want to find XP in the early game now, if you can find yourself a deep, dark biome and go in there with a hoe, you can. I think pretty easily like get to the point where you can start enchanting gear in the early game without much trouble, you know? Yeah, it's it's like you're you're getting XP by breaking blocks the same way you would be with, I don't know, farming redstone and diamonds and coal and stuff like that in the early game, or even going back and smelting some of the other stuff like iron that doesn't give you XP at the source. But then you've just got a an entire biome's worth of blocks that are made of XP. You've just got to be okay with destroying them. And I think ultimately we're going to need to develop a, a kind of skulk farm just to make sure that you don't end up clearing out the entire terrain and then there's nothing left. Like, it still feels like a finite source of XP, but it does solve that early game problem if you are brave enough to explore the deep dark, maybe take out any of the naturally spawned shriekers, which are much less frequent, I think, there than they are mm-hmm. in the, the ancient city environment. Um, and just so you make sure that the warden doesn't interrupt you while you're farming your way to 30 levels, I think you could do pretty well. Yeah. And and really this takes me to a discussion I've I've had with people a lot which is like I don't XP it seems like this thing where in the early game it's a hurdle and it's really annoying and then in the late game if you're the type of person that you know has the the aptitude to build farms, you know whether it be a mob farm or whatever, on Bedrock Edition we have these uh portal ticking gold farms which give you like ungodly amounts of experience points. Um it it goes quickly from I don't have enough of it, it's annoying, I want to get it to i'm sitting on like 200 levels and i don't have anything to use my xp on so it just feels like a almost like an antiquated system that maybe hopefully one day they um modernize in some sense and and find that balance and find more maybe in-game uses for a player to use their experience points yeah i think one of the weirdest differences when you're used to java mechanics especially going to bedrock edition is just the way mob spawning feels completely different and it doesn't immediately strike you as obvious why it's different like it's more like yeah no there are mobs around right there's a creeper over there there's a zombie over there but then when it comes to trying to get them to spawn in a concentrated area that's when you run into a ton of problems so yeah really interesting to see how some of the changes like the the skulk thing kind of comes out of left field it's like you know for for parity's sake they could end up with mobs on bedrock edition spawning the way they do on java and then potentially introducing i don't know performance issues and like you know some of the reasons they've kept those mob numbers down and had density caps for a while is because of performance on lower end devices like old ipads or whatever that kind of stuff but now you have the skulk coming in as almost like a a third solution that we weren't necessarily expecting but if you set up something that you can passively create skulk over time using a skulk catalyst then maybe there's a way of farming those mobs that just lends to xp being stored there instead of you know it being inaccessible to you without going in and killing the mobs manually yourself and i just saw in the um in the chat the live chat there that somebody asked about like ender enders on bedrock as an example so you can create an ender ender or something similar to to how they're done on Java on Bedrock Edition. But the real limitation on Bedrock is with both how mobs spawn, mobs spawn and how many of them can exist at a time. On Java Edition, the and I have a video I did on this when I, uh, I ran a parody check series and I would kind of side by side, like look at Java and Bedrock. And if you watch Java Edition, 
the best way I can explain it to people in layman's terms is it, it looks like on Java edition, the game is rushing to fill the mob cap. Like it's trying to see, fill the mob cap as fast as it can. Whereas if you watch bedrock edition, it's more of a slow trickle. And then on top of that, the caps are different. So if I were to try to keep it really easy for people that want to understand, if take a chunk, right? You have a, a chunk in the game, a 16 by 16 area and a mob spawns there. Well, before that mob spawns, the game's going to check to see how many mobs are in the surrounding chunks. It checks a, a four chunk radius around it. So think like it's not a, it's not a square, but think like four chunks out in each direction from that spot. And it, and it looks to see how many mobs exist. If it's in, I think the I think the end, if we're talking end to enders, I think the end is uh, 16 I think it's 16 mobs can exist at a time it's going to look and if 16 mobs are already in this case uh enderman already exists in that area it the, the new the new spawn's not going to happen it the the that local check cap the density cap is filled so with farms that rely on a lot of spawns like general mob farms ender enders etc you can only have a very limited number of mobs that are alive at a time which makes farms completely different on Bedrock Edition. Your whole point on Bedrock Edition when you make a farm is how fast can I kill these things? Because I need to free up the cap so a new one can spawn because I can't have as many of it at a time. And then also you have to maximize the number of spots that are available to spawn in. Because unlike on Java, where if you leave like one block that's dark and an otherwise lit up area, and then like you guys, like a couple minutes later, end up with 70 mobs that are just like congregated around this small spot, which I always find really funny. Um, it doesn't really happen on Bedrock because there is that localized cap to that particular area. So we have to spread out our farms to make them larger to get more to get more mobs to spawn. It's it's one of the things in the game that between the two versions are incredibly different from each other and really make mob farms or anything to do with mobs at all 100% different when you watch a Java based tutorial versus a Bedrock based tutorial. Mm -hmm. And this is exactly why we wanted to have you on the show because like having that level of knowledge about it <laughs> at your fingertips is is great when Joel and I are so used to just kind of the stuff we take for granted on Java edition especially. So this is really why we want to have you on the show. And while we've got you here, we may as well like do a little bit of a, a background on you because, you know, it's kind of nice to to chat about this stuff. So like tell us about your history with Minecraft. You're obviously like deep in the technical stuff now, but how did you start playing the game and like which version did you play first? Where did the the journey take you from there? Um, well, actually, I, I, you know, I've mentioned my kids several times here. They're the reason I started playing, but not like I, I know a lot of people's story is, hey, my kids were playing Minecraft and then I saw it. Mine was the opposite. Like my kids were pretty young. They were four and five at the time. And this was uh, like several months before Update Aquatic came out, I think. And um, I was like, hey, you know, like I've always been a gamer. Like I want my kids to like get into a game, but they're still kind of little like they, they don't have the coordination to play most games. So I was looking for something that they could play and Minecraft popped up on my radar. So I decided, OK, well, if I'm going to show them how to play this like cool looking like open world, do whatever you want, however you want type of game, I need to figure it out myself first. So uh, we bought it for the Wii U of all systems. <laughs> wow. <laughs> probably yeah. one of the only people who bought Minecraft. I mean, I don't know. It's it probably a pretty popular game, but I feel like the Wii U as a console just kind of didn't do what they were hoping it would. So, yeah, kind <laughs> it, of. It, it didn't, but it was really like, and I, I know you're familiar with this because you started on console too. Like you had the limited world sizes. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I think the Wii U had the like the smallest 
of all of those. Like the the actual world was really tiny. Um, but and it wasn't even like we got this thing for free, by the way. Just don't nobody judge me. I didn't spend money on a Wii U. It was give it was like a hand me down from a different family member. Um, but we started playing there. And I remember my first Minecraft experience because I didn't really know a lot about it. Me and my wife got in this world and started playing. And the only real thing we had heard about Minecraft was like I'd heard the term creeper hole. I, you know, obviously, I know what that means now. A creeper blows up and makes a big hole in the ground and it, you're annoyed by the fact that you have to fill it in. But we didn't know what it meant back then. So like literally anytime we saw a dark area, we we're like, oh, man, that's probably a creeper hole right there. Like I'm not going anywhere <laughs> close to that because it probably means instant death. So we would we would stay away from these caves. It was really funny. Um, but eventually I, you know, I, I like the game. I got the kids playing it and I, I moved to buying it on my Xbox one. Um, and played it for a while and I started to learn like all these technical things that we start talking about with these parody differences and and back then as many as you know parody differences we see now like back then there was no focus on parody really so like everything like almost everything felt like it was different and not a lot of people had that knowledge of hey there's two different versions of the game we have this better together version that just came out which is bedrock edition and we have the Java edition version. And there wasn't that understanding that these two things are different from each other. They work different. So whereas I would normally start out trying to find my own information by going to like the unofficial Minecraft forums at the time and like would try to like between that and YouTube, try to piece things together, at like how to do things. I kind of quickly saw myself that, hey, this like mumbo jumbo video that I watched, which is really cool. It doesn't work for me. Why doesn't it work for me? And through just kind of exploration of of like how things work, you start to see that things are so different. And that kind of led me to starting my channel, actually. Like there was no such thing as a general mob farm on Bedrock Edition at the time that did anything other than spawn mobs at nighttime on the surface. So I kind of through uh, exploring these different mechanics and using uh, knowledge that I gained from other bedrock creators at the time. Like I, I can think of Groova guy as an example who some of you may know, like was exploring how some of these spawning mechanics worked. I made this cool like mob farm that worked in the daytime and the nighttime and had different levels to it. And it was like pretty quick and pretty cool. And I wanted to share it with people. So I decided, hey, you know what? I'm going to start a YouTube channel because like all of these people are just like me, if not worse off. They're confused about why are there all these differences and how come everything I try and imagine the frustration of you see a video from a popular creator and you spend 8, 10, 12 hours getting the materials and building this thing up just to find it doesn't work. So I wanted to kind of play my part in helping people not feel that level of frustration anymore which is kind of what brought me into playing minecraft on my pc and recording videos and making my channel and considering that basically nine tenths of the minecraft player base plays bedrock edition like statistically that seems to be the case that it accounts for nine tenths worth of sales of minecraft at least it's mm -hmm. it's wild that so much of the focus in the past has been on the java edition and with it having started there and the technical side of things having flourished in java edition first it is really nice to see bedrock edition having more of a focus now and i think the parity stuff is really adding to that i think it's nice that with the two versions starting to be treated more equally and then i won't just say by the developers because obviously they've treated them equally but just understood the limitations of both versions and the you know the the way they wanted to develop each version it's nice to see those being brought more in alignment because 
from what I've seen you do with Bedrock Edition, I mean, you, you talked about the portal ticking gold farms earlier, but having seen that, <laughs> I think that's like a real wake-up call for how technical Bedrock Edition stuff can be. It's just understanding the ways in which the mechanics are different and that knowledge just didn't really exist before maybe the last couple of years, I want to say. Yeah. Um, and that's, I guess that's really like my main thing and where I come from. Cause a lot of people talk about parody in a lot of different ways. Um, for me, it's, it's all about that, that general player. Cause like you say, most people, like most just like raw players play on bedrock edition. Um, and most people don't have the no level of knowledge that a lot of your listeners have that a lot of, you know, us as creators have. So it's, it's easy to get fooled unintentionally by seeing a video or hearing something that a friend did. And I just think about that experience that I used to have way back in the day when I was trying to build a mob farm and I was copying the design from a, a, a good creator and it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't work for me. And that still happens all the time now. So I just kind of think of it from the player perspective is the two versions of the game ideally need to be as identical as possible. Um, because otherwise you end up with players that get frustrated at Minecraft and some of them, I'm sure, stop playing the game. And that's the last thing that that I want to see. I don't want to see people getting frustrated with their playtime or feeling like their time was wasted because time is very valuable to a lot of us. So all these little parody strides that they make, I, I think, is a really big deal. And at the end of the day, I don't really care if it's done the Bedrock way or the Java way or some hybrid of the two. As long as parity is reached in the end, that's the most important thing. So with this drive towards parity, uh, an email topic that came in from the Landman 08 in our inbox uh, was along the lines of, what do you think of the restriction of Bedrock being unable to pull older versions uh, forward, you know, creating problems when people are trying to make these larger parity changes to the game for example like if a parity change ends up being unwelcome by part of the community then it's it's harder for them to then roll back and have the experience that they want yeah um i i, I sadly think it's probably always going to be a problem um and and i was thinking about this because i've heard you a lot of times like you'll talk about even when we're talking more short term and not long term like your your world the citadel like you guys might mm -hmm. not always ado adopt a new version right away for a variety of different reasons. So you just kind of, you know, you're, you're at a point where you're okay and you sit and wait things out a little bit. Like you'll, like you'll probably do that with 1.19, right? Like it'll come out, you'll kind of survey things, you'll update, and then a bunch of minor updates will come down the hatch and you might wait a while before you upgrade those. And yeah. unfortunately we can't, we can't do that on bedrock edition. So I think of the example of uh, the witch huts not generating, right? Like, Right. And it's got to be terrible to have this have a world that you've had for a while, maybe, or maybe you start a new world or whatever, and you can't find a witch hut anywhere. They don't exist. And you don't have the option to roll back to or stay on an older version of the game. You're you're just kind of stuck with whatever's new. Um, but I think that's just gonna be the nature of the beast. I'm I'm pretty sure there's some type of like restriction when it comes to having older things available on the marketplaces for Android and iOS and even for the consoles to where doing something like a version switcher. And, and again, I'm just kind of speaking from little bits I've heard here and there. I don't know if this is the official stance or an official roadblock, but I, I think those things make it impossible for them to just 
really have it available. And while they could technically do it for PC players if they wanted to, I think there's this urge to not segment out the bedrock community to where certain platforms you play on have certain privileges and other platforms you play on don't. Yeah, like it, it makes a lot of sense. And it's it's weird because in the Java community, you have that just for stuff like combat, right? Like you have like PvP players who still want to play on 1.8 because they didn't like the combat changes that happened seven years ago. And they're still playing on an older version. And it's like, it kind of makes sense that they would want to unify the Bedrock experience and make everyone on the same playing field, especially if they're connecting to the same servers a lot of the time and you don't want somebody from an older version connecting to a newer version or having to troubleshoot where they can't it just it, it makes sense even though it does limit the overall experience to whatever version it is you've just got to stick with it regardless of its problems you know warts and all you have to have the latest version um i feel like that is changing ever so slightly with stuff like um minecraft preview being mm -hmm. an option um so you've obviously spent a lot of time in beta versions of minecraft on windows and that was a program that having had some experience with this myself you had to opt into through the xbox insider program and that came with a few issues of its own so uh now that it's being split into minecraft preview how do you feel about that tell us about your experience with the beta program and has the minecraft preview kind of move actually fixed the problems that the beta version had um, I always laugh when I see this because I'll see um, like some of the developers will post about, you know, the bedrock beta is now going away and like some people are kind of acting like, oh, it's, just, you know, it's a sad moment. You know, the beta program has been here for so long and they kind of have this like like they reminisce on the, the good old days. And I'm sitting here thinking that the days weren't really that good, like <laughs> good, good riddance for the beta program being gone. Um, the Minecraft previews, it's, it's, it's a billion times better. Like the problem with the beta, like you were kind of alluding to there is you had to opt into it through the Xbox insider program. You had to like sacrifice your firstborn, sacrifice your firstborn child, and then hope that you can uninstall it and, or get out of it, which involved you uninstalling Minecraft. You better remember to back up your worlds. Cause if you didn't, they were going to get wiped out. And it was just all, it was this whole big thing with the beta. And the the preview is for all intents and purposes works the same way functionally as a as like a a beta program or game where you get to try out the new stuff but it's just a separate instance of the game so like uh you can you can open up the minecraft preview and it's a separate application from from minecraft whereas before the beta installed itself over top of minecraft therefore to downgrade yourself back down to the full release version, you had to uninstall Minecraft and just reinstall it again. So it, it's definitely taking care of all the problems for anybody that's looking to get in. I encourage it because obviously the more people that are testing all of the new features and stuff means that more bugs will get found more quickly and get fixed before releases happen. It kind of makes me wonder, they probably don't want to muddy the waters too much, but if there was a way of them releasing something like this that was just older editions of Bedrock, if it was like Minecraft Legacy or something like that, and they could release it as a separate app that had all of the backdated versions of Bedrock, I wonder how many people would get on that. Or if it would just be too confusing that there were like three versions of Minecraft available in the App Store instead of just one. Yeah, I mean, that's a good idea. I think it's something they should definitely consider because... You know, although it's not going to be something that the 
vast majority of players do because you know most people i'm sure java edition but definitely on bedrock edition or or you're just going to be playing whatever the the most recent you know update of the game is the the active current version um i think it'd be a good idea because at the end of the day it doesn't detract anything it doesn't take away from anybody's experience um branding can take care of any type of confusion just like they've done with minecraft preview um and yeah i mean it would definitely give people that ability to go back and play older versions for whatever reason they may want to play those older versions so i'd be i'd be all for that and maybe i don't know maybe that's something they consider in the future they they seem to be as a development team very open to community feedback and ideas to to like enhance that experience and i think that would definitely be one way to enhance the experience for people one of the other questions that came in through our Discord uh, or producer Rokuta Ven wanted to know, with the differences in parity between Bedrock and Java, what are your top three parity changes you would like to see brought to Bedrock from Java? Um, to Bedrock from Java, the top three things I would like to see, I mean, the, the one of the big ones that I think is going to be on everybody's list is offhand capabilities um, for... Like it's one of those things where I think uh, if you play Java a lot, you probably almost take it for granted in a way. But like the fact that you can't have a pickaxe in one hand and a torch in the other hand when you're caving, you can't stand in an XP farm and mend up your like multiple tools at a time or like be killing mobs with your sword and have your pickaxe in your offhand to mend up or um, like even little stuff like I would like to have like a block or a weapon or a shovel or something out while I have wheat in my offhand and like, I'm trying to get a cow to follow me like <laughs> little things like that, um, that make a big difference or more technical things too. Like how jealous do you think we are of the fact that like you guys can hold concrete in one hand and a pickaxe in the other and just place and mine it. It's so, it's so simple. And, um, it's one of the things that a lot of players here really wish that they'd be able to do. Um, I did notice in the um, the last Minecraft beta and preview, there was like a very obscure um, note to something that they were fixing or doing with offhand. It's not really I think it it had something to do with like how items stack in it or something like that. And I just remember reading it and thinking, oh, that's odd that they would focus on that. And the combination of that and the change to like mobile UI just made me think that. I, I wonder if they're not close to doing this. I, I, if if I had to just speculate on my own, I would say they probably are because the big thing with offhand not being a thing on Bedrock Edition, I think it's just boiled down to the fact that the the mobile controls just weren't suited for it. Like it mm-hmm. just isn't possible to do in a feasible way. And now that they're like updating all the mobile controls and making them more customizable and, you know, all sorts of different things. I think it's starting to become a, co- a possibility and now they're starting to think, okay, well, like what things do we need to change, fix, or do with offhand to actually implement it? So that would be my first one. Uh, my other one would probably be something that confuses a lot of people often. And maybe it's not a feature I would use a lot, but I just think makes sense. And is a big one that a lot of people ask for is the, um, the being able to get on the roof in another, or more specifically, you can get on the roof in another, but there's just a build limit on bedrock edition. So if you get yourself up there, you're stuck. There's only one way out and that's death. Um, so there's that one. And then I think the last one would be a hundred percent like, TNT drop rate because that would enable farms like uh like some of the tree farms you guys use concrete farms 
um, and things like that. Like if TNT blows something up on Bedrock Edition, like 60% of it gets destroyed. Um, mm-hmm. And that having all the items drop would open up a pretty wide variety of like new contraptions on Bedrock Edition that don't exist currently. So those would probably be my three. Yeah, I feel like the reverse always ends up feeling much more cosmetic for me. Like the stuff that I would like from Bedrock Edition in Java is all stuff like being able to dye the water in cauldrons different colors and having like the interaction that potions and cauldrons have in Bedrock Edition that cauldrons feel kind of disconnected from brewing in Java because we never really use them as a water source because you can fill up water bottles infinitely from a regular block of water. So filling it up three times from a cauldron seems kind of, you know, unnecessary at that point. It's stuff like that. It's stuff like the fact that leaves turn white in spruce forests when they have snow on them. It's It's really cool. Yeah, and stuff like the it's snowing and they're piling up like multiple layers of snow instead of just one flat layer of snow across everything. There's mm-hmm. like little things like that that I feel like make Bedrock Edition sometimes even a more immersive experience than Java Edition is because the world acts a little bit more like reality or it acts a little bit more faithfully to what you might consider realism. And so, yeah, I kind of, I like that stuff. Um, but I feel like it's, it, there's a couple of technical things like, yeah, trident killers come up quite a lot. The idea that, you know, once you've thrown a trident, you can, that that's the way a lot of Bedrock Edition mob farm kill mechanisms work, right? Is like, it just kind of shuffles a trident around and it hits all of the mobs in an area. And it's like the player has thrown it and the trident's still moving and it's still hitting stuff. Whereas yeah. I think- on Java Edition, it makes contact with a mob or a block, and that's it. It's been thrown, and it can't do anything until it's back in the player's hand. So there's like little things like that that might not be intended mechanics, but still allow Bedrock Edition to do some really fun, funky technical stuff that I think Java players quite enjoy. But then again, the Bedrock, like the reversal of that, the Uno reverse card you guys play is like, well, Java has Sweeping Edge. <laughs> and then I think, yeah. oh, oh yeah, no, we're, we're absolutely spoiled on Java Edition. Yeah, I think really what it boils down to and and like if I were to like change people's perception about things or their way of thinking about things is like. We should want Minecraft as a game to be the best game possible, right? So there's there's a lot of cool things that Bedrock Edition has that Java doesn't like Trident Killers and um, you can place redstone dust on top of a piston and it won't like you can actually place it there and use it that way or um you can waterlog pistons there's like all sorts of cool little technical quirks there's the immersive things that you talk about there's a lot of immersive things on java edition that i would love to see on bedrock as well um but at the end of the day like we should just want the best stuff to be on both versions right Mm -hmm. so if there's no real right version of minecraft in my mind in that regard it's let me look at the two features which one would players like the most and let's give them that or like one of the big ones that a lot of people in Bedrock Edition like to fight about a lot is iron farms. Um, mm-hmm. Iron farms are way different on the two versions. You guys have the scare mechanics. We don't have that. We kind of have like a quasi version of what used to exist back in the day where you have to have it used to be doors. Now it's beds. You have to have X number of beds, X number of villagers. Those villagers have a few requirements like they have to be able to work at their workstations, etc. And you get iron golems to spawn and some people like that because they think that the java iron farms are like way too simple and easy and overpowered and some people want the simple easy overpowered farms so in some cases maybe the best option is just to have both right maybe it can just work both ways and you can decide to play minecraft the way that you want to play it so the end result really should always just be what feature is better 
and let's let's have both versions have that. And if both features are good or they they conflict with each other in some way, let's find a happy median or just implement both features to both versions if it's capable of working that way. The uh, road to El Dorado meme immediately comes up for me. It's like both, yeah, both, both is good. <laughs> we all <laughs> exactly, we can, yeah, we can have both. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining us, Prowl. This has been a fantastic show. We're going to have to wrap things up there, but why don't you take a moment to plug anything you want to plug and let our listeners know where they can find more of you and your work. Um, yeah, check me out on YouTube, Prowl eighty four thirteen, uh, youtube.com slash Prowl eighty four thirteen. Um, you can find me on Twitter under the same handle. Um, you can join my Discord channel, um, also the same link, discord.gg slash Prowl eighty four thirteen. Um, I do have a gaming channel where I play other games. Um, we talked about those earlier in the show in the pre-show. Um, so definitely check me out on Prowl eighty four thirteen gaming, where you can find me playing Elden Ring and Apex Legends and all sorts of things. I often play with my wife there or other people. So. Uh, we have a lot of fun there as well awesome stuff uh, and if you're new to the spawn chunks you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we talked about today at the spawnchunks.com prowl's links will be posted up there as well the music for the show was composed by me and the spawn chunks is proud to be a listener supported podcast if you're getting some value out of the show why not consider putting some value back in you can do that at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks joining our community and pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons only discord chat and you can participate in things like a live show recording that we do every week uh, and the monthly Minecraft audio hangout, which, as I mentioned earlier, we had this uh, last weekend. Uh, we're currently at 342 patrons, which is up three from last week. Thank you so much to everybody who's hopped on board recently. And special thanks go out to our content engineer patrons, Hunter555, Jumbo Sale, and Yitz, for your support on this episode. A quick reminder for our patrons, if you happen to miss the Minecraft hangout on the weekend, you can download that from the patron-only RSS feed or listen live on the Patreon page. Just log into your Patreon account and you should have access. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram, but a personal recommendation is by far the best way to share the podcast. Poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance, even if they play on a different version of minecraft and let them know that they may be interested in the spawn chunks and they can find it on itunes spotify google podcasts and even youtube be sure to leave us a rating and a review on your favorite platform you can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com the rss feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com and the patron only rss feed is on the patreon page that's where you can listen to the render distance the extended version of the podcast my name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixelriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixelriffs, where I try to make sense of this bizarre and wonderful game in Season 2 of the Minecraft Survival Guide, Java Edition, I should add. <laughs> I stream three days a week on Twitch, where I do behind-the-scenes work for the aforementioned YouTube series, and I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixelriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I'm doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. My other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment is at thecitadelcafe.com. You can bet your butt we're going to be talking about Obi-Wan Kenobi this coming week. You can find me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream three days a week. And I'll be moving on to a new build on The Citadel. We'll see what's up. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite. And beware, the Warden is on the prowl. 